0: the meeting is being live streamed. This is the CCM investing power hour. This is power hour number 28. So getting up there, uh, hopefully just continue to do one each week. If you are listening to this in the podcast format, when it comes out on Sunday, you should know that you can watch these live every Thursday uh, afternoon at 12 p.m. Pacific time on the United States and 3 p.m. Eastern time. And you can also watch them on YouTube as the recordings will be up there as well if you prefer the video and the live chat. But the beautiful thing about the live chat is that you can ask us questions. And we usually get a few and we hopefully will today. Uh, But first, you know, which I say what the show is, there's no preparation. Uh, So we're just gonna go through anything that's on our mind in the investing world today. Uh, ryan uh i don't know anything out there i guess we should talk about our sponsor though first and that is seven investing uh so ryan anything that you saw from them this week i know
1: our
0: new strong buy portfolio out there let's hit on them for a little bit and then we'll get started
1: i did read uh i did look through the strong buy portfolio i also i'm still kind of getting through all the recs from this last month there's one in particular that feels like a fat pitch um and it almost feels like
0: don't spoil it, but give a little tease.
1: <laughs> Do you ever like hear an investment pitch, and it almost feels too easy? Like, and, and I know that's a bad, bad thing to say, but it's maybe so many people think it, or it's such a crowded investment that it like makes you reluctant to be a part of it, even though like the pitch totally makes sense. That's kind of what I'm experiencing
0: here. Uh, I think that is, it makes sense. Yeah. If something, if everyone loves something, um, Oh, let me switch to gallery view. So Mm -hmm. everyone can see both of us. All right. For the listeners, you don't care, but yeah, uh, that totally makes sense. Um, But it is really hard to, uh, I don't know. I think I just I just like to ignore it, but yeah, it's, it's tough because if if it's so popular, you're like, all right, where's my edge? Do I need an edge? Uh, You (laughs) kind of throw that around in your brain. but. This is part of the seven investing recommendation you read or report.
1: Yeah. Well, it's just, it was one of the wrecks, um, but I won't say, well, I can say who, I just can't say the company. It was, it was Matt's wreck, Matt Cochran. He's been on the show multiple times. If you're listening to this episode, I'm sure you've heard him speak, but feels like a fat pitch. I also want to maybe, this is a good chance to give a spe- like a bit of a pitch for seven investing generally beyond just the wrecks. if, now that they've stored up so much research in there, I think they've got research on like two hundred different companies um it's a great place to like get up to speed quickly on something, even if, like if you're just looking at it for the first time, you can kind of glance back to the time that they wrote it, you can write you can kind of look through what the business was like then, how it's evolved, how it's changed, and you get like all basically. A good sense of the competitive advantages or, or what they think were the competitive advantages. So for me, I use it for that. A lot of the times I kind of just, whenever I'm looking at a new company, basically, do they have something on it? Could I get up to speed that way? So All right. if yeah. you want to do that, use our code money at checkout, get a hundred dollars off the annual.
0: Yep. M-O-N-E-Y show notes will have the uh, link to easily do that, that's hundred dollars off, twenty five percent discount, and that is for every year for the life of your subscription. We'll also be talking about a nice article they wrote. The one thing we prepare for here, the nice article they wrote this week, which is a value winning, long term performance kind of time horizon, all that good stuff. We can do a segment on that later in the show. But let's talk about anything else. I mean, we got we got an inflation. I guess another Yeah, uh, it was whatever. It was low enough and then it was high enough. I mean, it's kind of a crazy market day right now. um, I wasn't
1: wasn't around my computer when this stuff, whatever the CPI print came out and everybody was like,
0: we're West coasters. So we get up, you know?
1: Yeah. And it it took this wild intraday swing. And I I looked this morning, all basically the whole portfolio was down 3% roughly. And then I, I checked Twitter. People are like, wow, amazing how they swing from down 3% to up 3%. Check my portfolio, nothing's up 3%. So I don't know, I can't win. I think, no. We can't win in this market. No, that uh, that changed. When shit goes drop, we drop. When shit goes rip, we drop. It doesn't matter.
0: No, that that changed. It just took a little, since we don't have It changed, but not quite as much as
1: everyone was saying it looks like.
0: Yeah. I mean, it's interesting because the large caps seem to go right with the market or the mega caps, but we don't have as much exposure to say the large caps or the mega caps. So the those ones that maybe don't have as much index, I don't know what exactly it is, but they seem to trail a bit if there's some rapid market movements, uh, if it's a smaller or mid cap yeah. stock. And I don't know why that is, but it, it is. And I don't know anything from the inflation readings i i got nothing, I think we should probably just talk about something else because really i uh, I think it's just, it's I just saw some, a number
1: no no, I don't, yeah it's a number, and frankly, it's a little hard to gauge the relevance of that number,
0: yeah, it's uh, all it's all estimates,
1: yeah, and then I did see something the other day it's kind of it's not it doesn't matter to people's investments, but I thought it was funny. some guy went on Fox business. And oh, I was yeah. like,
0: that was, was great. was like,
1: inflation is so bad. I just had to buy a $28 meal at Taco Bell.
0: I'm like, I wouldn't, I wouldn't be right. That's bragging. not
1: inflation. I wouldn't, I, would, I, would, I would, yeah, you take that to the grave.
0: I would you not don't be tell bragging. anyone about that. No, if you spent $28 at Taco Bell, that is about approximately 6,000 calories, probably. It's got nothing Cons- to do with inflation. <laughs> Conservatively, you can feed a family in it in Africa for a whole day. That's all the calories they probably like, you know what I mean? Like that's not, that's not a, uh, I, I don't
1: know. Uh, on them, Yeah. But anyway, I um, thought that was funny. No, I don't have any big takeaways from inflation. I did however, see a couple of things that look a little more promising in terms of the chip shortage. So GM reports, I'm sorry, I'm touching the mic. GM reported inventories grew. I think it was three X year over year. PlayStation or Sony, apparently imports of the PlayStation 5 were up 400% year over year in September. Xbox, I think, was like 89%. But
0: so PlayStation, PlayStation got a ginormous uh, just bump in inventory as we head into the holiday season.
1: So what I'm thinking here, and apparently there was reports that Sony is projecting 30 million PS5 sales in 2023. I don't know how much validity there is to that, but if it's true and that's because they see the visibility in their production. Yeah. yeah. That's it. These are, these are great signs.
0: Yeah. And if app, you know, Apple, their TSMC's largest customer. There's they, they brought down their demand slightly. Um, that's probably good for the chip shortage as well. NVIDIA and AMD both guided down on the PC stuff. But I think, the biggest thing for the chip shortage that affects the broader economy is the automotive exposure, right? Because everyone has a phone and okay. And everyone, maybe that's a gamer can play it in game console. But if they have to wait a year to get their new upgrade, that's not a huge deal, but the automotive stuff can really have an effect on affordability, all that good stuff, inflation. So I think that's probably pretty important, but we'll see. Um,
1: what do you think of the uh, the console inventory news? I think that's great for publishers.
0: I think it's good for the industry in general. We'll see because we're going to know how popular these new consoles are actually going to be. Um, and people are saying that there's so much pent-up demand, but we're going to finally see all that. And yes, uh, it's great for the the companies that sell games. I know we harp on this a lot uh, and we talk about the gaming industry a lot, but yes. I mean, the more consoles that are out there, especially for publishers that have more ga- Console exposure, it'll be great. I mean, looking at say the Call of Duty game this year, uh, that it's getting record engagement on the pre-download stuff, or however you want to track it. And if you just get fifty, say fifty million, well, not just during the holiday season, say tens of millions of more consoles out during the holiday season, I think more people are probably going to buy Call of Duty. It translates fairly well, um, and especially on the new consoles, the new games are just a way better customer experience than uh, the new games on the old consoles because they can just seem a lot buggier just because it's on that old console, even though you have the ability to play it potentially on that old console. Um, Better
1: better graphics.
0: Yeah, it gets, you You know, the better graphics, performance, whatever gets utilized. Uh, Here's another thing. And I know we talk about video streaming a lot, but this is actually big news. Netflix is going to roll out its new ad-supported tier on November 3rd. So less than a month from now, and it's only going to cost $7 a month, but it will not include 10 to 15% of Netflix's, I guess, top shows. Uh, So those are going to be behind the other paywall, which kind of confused me a bit. And then the ads will be approximately four to five minutes per hour. So much lower than regular TV.
1: Yeah, I saw this. And it's also lower quality.
0: That part was... Yeah, that last part that you just mentioned there seems just the part that could be a big misstep.
1: It seems so dumb.
0: It just ruins maybe the ads going
1: The ads customers. are going to be 1080p. The, the video is going to be 720.
0: Yeah, if you make it like that, you got to... It's kind of like if... I don't know. It just doesn't make sense to me, that part, that last part. Or at least... I would don't love want, to hear that. I would love to hear their thinking on that because it seems like it's not customer focused.
1: Don't you want to make your ad based experience as good as possible so that people people feel like incentivized to get the full subscription? It feels like the the thing you don't want to do is take stuff away from the ad experience.
0: Yeah, you don't want someone to join um, the ad supported part and then just be like, "Wow, this service is terrible." I'm leaving after a month. I think, uh, I actually, funny enough, the chief product guy at Spotify was just on a long podcast talking about this type of thing on how they wanted to make their advertising tier very, you know, attractive for people to go on because their theory was that the more people we can get to join the the advertising tier, there will be a percentage that'll be pretty standard in each region that will funnel over to the paid tier and will make a lot of money. Uh, the labels did not like that because they had the thought that they need, they needed to make the advertising tier bad, but just because it would attract more people to the premium side as a percentage of the advertising tier as that ratio. But if you do that, the percentage of people that actually join the advertising tier is much lower and you don't get that wide enough funnel. Um, so actually, the number, the absolute number of paid subscribers you get lowers, if that makes sense. Yeah. I know that. Yeah. So they, they experienced that. I think that's, it's, it's pretty, uh, it's not exactly apples to apples, but
1: yeah, it's fairly similar. You may want to pull the mic a little further away from your mouth. By the way, I'm hearing some puffs, some pff, okay. you know. But uh, yeah, I it just makes me a little wary. I know Netflix is up like five percent on maybe, that news. Maybe that maybe that's market related, but it's kind of up more than most right now, and I think a lot of it has to do with the ad supported tier. That kind of surprises me. Um, I don't know. Not not the biggest fan of that. Um, other news that I thought was relevant. Roku getting into smart home devices. I think this is pretty dumb.
0: Uh, yeah, what's the what's the ROI on that gonna be? Spoil. We are doing a little tease for next week, maybe next week or the week after. I don't know when it'll come out. We're doing a interview with the science of hitting media expert on all things Roku. So it'll be exciting. Uh, So look out for that in the podcast feed. But guess the
1: the pitch is that you can, all right, you got like a Roku security camera, let's say at your front door, you can see it from your Roku TV. Like you can see the screen.
0: No, I mean, no, because the app, who needs that when you have the app, you don't, you just look on your phone. If something's at the front door, I mean, you don't need to see every little inch of it. I don't think this makes much sense. I, also saw some thoughts that the Netflix advertising tier is going to be beneficial for Roku, but Netflix blocks out, and maybe this is the bull case on Netflix, they block, Roku doesn't, like, Netflix excludes Roku from all advert. They don't, they, they don't give them any cut because of the leverage they have, uh, I guess, just... On ads? On ads, yeah, so... You sure about that? Because they're going with my, I'm pretty sure, I mean, we don't know, we don't know, but I, I from what I've read, uh, since they went with Microsoft and in the past, Netflix doesn't give any money to Roku, even though if people subscribe, subscribe to their service, um, I just don't know. I mean, maybe that changes with this advertising tier, uh, but I I think like saying that's beneficial to Roku is not, I just, I just don't see. It. I mean, maybe they get a tiny percent cut of that advertising revenue that's going through Roku devices, but how much meaningful is that going to be if they're not actually the ones powering it? And the one powering the advertising tier is Microsoft. And then if you look at Disney Plus, I think Trade Desk is powering them. It's just hard for me to see where Roku gets that advertising no, uh, money. I think you might
1: think it might be off of the dis- I mean Disney Plus accounted for like more than 10% of
0: mm, so they get the uh, cut there. They Roku's get they, revenue. So even if well you mean well Disney Plus doesn't um have an advertising tier yet
1: i know but disney plus the subscription business accounted for like more than 10 percent of roku's revenue in whatever whatever like the last two years or something like that
0: oh yeah sure sure for that the, but the, netflix, there's no but, way
1: that they're going to be able to pivot to an ad model that just avoids giving any to roku that just doesn't seem likely maybe
0: i think netflix probably maybe could because they've never before i wouldn't assume that Netflix
1: potentially, yeah, but it's. I mean, they haven't. In, they
0: haven't in the past. Like, if Netflix hasn't given Roku any money in the past, why should we expect that to continue? I just don't.
1: Well, maybe the negotiating power shrinks over time. Netflixes, yeah, yeah,
0: that's Which kind are, of the whole. Honestly, the whole... it feels
1: realistic because you get like, I, I, and I'm sure there's data out there, and I could be totally wrong, but it feels like the content wars right now for CTV are going to. Equalize or, or diminish time spent on Netflix, not maybe not total time spent, but as a percentage of overall time spent for each mm. user. If that makes sense.
0: Yeah, I think maybe in yeah CTV, I've seen the number go up as a percentage of overall TV, but that could that potentially just could be the tailwind of you know, like they could be losing market share in CTV but gaining market share overall. We'll see. I think it's a huge test with all the stuff that Amazon and HBO Max are pumping out with those giant shows, uh, Disney Plus as well, the giant Star Wars shows that going to be constant. The thing that's interesting, especially with Roku, is do you have to be short Netflix to be long Roku? Because if Netflix continues to grow in usage, then I just... like. If so much of the spend on or so much of the TV watching on Roku's is on um, YouTube and Netflix, who give them no money, that's just a huge like, it's just a huge uh, hurdle for them to try to to get over. You're, sp-
1: you're spoiling our our potential episode with uh, Alex here.
0: Yeah, I mean, that's I mean, I'm sure we're gonna discuss that with him. Yeah, but I I don't know I don't know the answer to that question. Uh, who is Roku eventually going to get enough power to get an equal cut? We'll see. They're just—they're in, in a precarious spot.
1: This episode is brought to you by ourselves. If you're hearing this now, we know you're a Chit Chat Money listener, but if you want to get more than just our free episodes, you can become a Chit Chat Money Plus subscriber. Within the subscription, members get access to our weekly Not So Deep Dive episodes, our monthly episodes detailing one of the holdings in our investment fund, Arch Capital, and then they also get written work, so newsletters and research files to go along with each Not So Deep Dive episode. Am I missing anything?
0: We should talk about the themes that we do each month so each month we choose a theme based on whatever we want so last month we did video games this month we're doing housing next month we're doing engineering software i believe and then the following month we're doing website and e-commerce software we choose those because it's you know a great way to investigate a different industry and if you want to subscribe to ccm plus go directly through Apple podcasts or Spotify or through the link that will be in each one of our show notes. It is only $5 a month. You heard that right. $5 a month. Perfect to try out. If you like what we have to offer, we hope you'll subscribe. All right. New topic. Uh, so we don't just talk about that forever. Um, oh, I got one. Okay.
1: Brooksfield business partners. What's uh, that together? One with of the- one of the Brookfield subsidiaries, I guess. So Brookfield okay. Asset Management's one of one of their various <laughs> subsidiaries. Brookfield Business Partners, together with its institutional partners, collectively Brookfield, today announced an agreement to sell its nuclear technology services operation, Westinghouse Electric Company, aka Westinghouse, to a strategic consortium led by Cameco Corporation and Brookfield Renewable Partners. So Brookfield is selling its Westinghouse business to themselves.
0: Mm. Yeah, I mean that's how do I'm people right. not say
1: this isn't convoluted? Like, everyone says Brookfield's not that complicated. It's super complicated.
0: Yeah. The, uh, yeah, I don't know. We, uh, when we came, We did that episode on them, we we're like, I don't know what the hell's going on. And the thing is, I don't mind the, you know, the Canadian. It's kind of uh, people say it's the Canadian Berkshire. If you're Canadian, um, I mean, it's not obviously Berkshire, but I can see the love the Canadians have for them. Like, you, you know, you see, um a lot of Canadian investors we know are like, yeah, of bam. Yeah, it's complicated, but the returns have been great. I just get nervous. They're selling stuff to themselves. Hey, what what was that stuff with the the limited that they were gonna spin off the asset manager and people are all excited about that? And they're like, Oh wait, actually we're gonna spin off seventy five percent of retain, like whatever of the uh the spend fees 70,
1: spend seventy five percent of the equity, but we'll retain Something I forget even what a it was different
0: proportion,
1: different portion of the voting power. It's like yeah,
0: I don't even know at the end. Like, what is your invet, like? Look, I know a lot of people. There's probably some are you listening? Yeah, they, I, uh, yeah. Let's be nice here. There's a lot of people that probably listening to this that own Brookfield and have done quite well with the stock. I just don't know what what's the thesis on. The, uh, like, I get confused on what the thesis is. Besides, dollar like money, money in yield. Yeah, like that's yeah, yield. yeah. It's like uh, it's it confuses me on what the thesis is. I mean, I can see the KKR thesis as more of a pure private equity kind of play, although I get nervous about that as well. But you, you can kind of see that one. But Br- Bam, Brookfield or BAM BAM, I just I, I don't know. I mean, exposure to commercial real estate, which is just I, I would I'd be getting more pessimistic about that each quarter. Um, I don't know anything about commercial real estate, but I think a lot of smart people have been pessimistic about it. And I'm kind of like, you know, Chanos has been super pessimistic on them. I just, I think like, why, why Brookfield over other stuff? This is it kind of what I'm thinking? Like why them over something simpler or why them over a different, uh, asset manager that has less confusion?
1: Yeah. Uh, Something that's been fun to do lately is to go to some of the tech stocks that were sort of the the darlings of 2021, and read through the employee reviews a year later on uh,
0: Glassdoor. Glassdoor, you can comp-
1: 2020, 2020,
0: 2021, 2022, tw- uh, Sorry, I'm going to spoil it for you, but I think I know where you're going. Keep going.
1: Uh, the, yeah, no, you can compare them. Just basically especially with the sales staff, you can look through the salespeople's reviews and everyone is so frustrated now Two, the two that I've looked at were DocuSign and Okta and DocuSign seems to have a, they've had tons of sales staff attrition. Um, but Okta has some not so glowing reviews on uh, Glassdoor as well. I've got yeah, one here. Yeah. Yeah. One says cons. What has transpired since Todd brought in Splunk leadership and then took an 18 and in parentheses and then took an 18 month nap is a, is a complete travesty SS LSR. I'll be honest. I don't know what that is. We're told repeatedly by proven company veterans that their plan load the box with an insane amount of new hires shrink territories, dramatically roll out a severely diminished comp plan with, Rife with nonsensical variables that run totally counter to how customers buy, require two completely different sales motions to be prosecuted by the field, would fail. No, the veterans were told, you just don't understand the genius of our plan. Oh, but see, they did. Fast forward six months, most of the Octa talent, not just in sales, but across the business, has exited stage left. The great, knowledgeable auth reps who could have served as invaluable, well paid overlays, history. The people who knew how to actually get things done, gonzo. So, yeah, now, part of this may have just been i I can't tell whether this was management's management missteps or unrealistic, sales um
0: or, or non
1: non-normal sales years during 2020. Oh, uh,
0: Right, right. They get like 10, whatever, 10 clients, and they're like, wow, that bonus was phenomenal. Whatever. Because
1: everyone was looking for, especially the DocuSign, the one is the one that's easiest. Basically, the DocuSign going through their glass door, like not a single sales rep has met their quota. And all the sales reps are saying, like the uh incentives or the the quota is just completely unrealistic. It feels a lot like a lot of these sales reps came in in 2020. Got a whole bunch. Basically, became customer support roles instead, where people were literally calling and asking for help, and then would get they'd probably get directed to some sales rep, and they could just help them with the process as opposed to outbound sales, which they're now having to go in and do to a lot of companies who are probably trying to cut costs right now. So, I, I mean, this it's a, it's a white collar staff attrition a- is going to be. This is going to show up financially over the next year.
0: This is, it's a white collar recession out there. Uh, you, you've seen a lot of lower big win income. Big one for the
1: labor. Community.
0: Big one for, for labor. Lower income has risen. They're overdue. Uh, yeah. I mean, the, the factory stuff is, you know, there's just huge manufacturing rebound in the United States right now that it seems to just be set to just soar over the next decade. And we're realizing that there's too many people working at white collar jobs, um, but the problem is not going to be solved because of (laughs) the the amount of business majors at state schools like we went to uh, diminishes. uh, They got to find jobs somewhere. They do not want to work at an Amazon warehouse. But let me look at, I think here's another problem with Okta that's pretty clear and obvious. It is the stock price. So Okta went public in 2017. By 2019, it was up 400%. By January 2021, it was up 1100%. Today it is only up 119% since its IPO and year to date down 77%. When you're comping people on stock and a lot of it and if it's even if it's RSUs which is even, you know, probably even more fair I guess, but if it's stock options where it's going to be below the, ex- you know, the, the strike price and you're not going to get any of it. I mean, it's they have a right to be upset because they're going to anchor to that high comp plan and maybe they're getting a really healthy salary of including in the comp. It looked like it was say like $200,000 if you're only a second year sales rep or something like that. And then you have your bonuses on top of it. Now it looks way worse. Maybe it's still, it's probably still a livable wage, but they're very upset and you, you know, you set the expectations too high for them.
1: Yeah, I got a feeling bonus season is going to be a little rough as well.
0: Only at the for energy of these companies. <laughs> Yeah. The white- You know
1: what's funny is the so many of these companies it feels like throughout 2020, throughout 2021, you know, maybe even earlier than that when a lot of these companies were getting more like some ridiculous sales multiple. I mean, it was really throughout 2020 and 2021. The focus was like it felt like it was all on employees, like how do we keep employees happy? And then now that everything's come full circle and the stock is basically collapsed on a lot of these businesses, all of a sudden they're trying to please shareholders Yeah, and losing employees in the process.
0: Yeah. It's just, if a business is in that spot and they're focusing on that, those things, uh, it's a a slight red flag to me because it just shows that they're not actually in it for creating long-term shareholder value or, building a quality business, they're in it to make it seem like things are going well to employees and shareholders. They, they don't actually want things to go well. They want to make it seem like things are going well.
1: Yeah. And it feels like it would be pretty easy to fall into that trap where if you're the CEO, maybe you are the founder of this Tech company, you got a whole bunch of people that you've hired, a founding team that you've worked with your whole life or your your whole career with this company, and you work with them every day. You seem to like you care about them a ton. It can be pretty easy, I think, to have shareholders be an afterthought, or to have or to think about them as a capital source to help you and your friends keep going. Yeah. because you, you you probably think these are the people that matter the most. It's my my colleagues, my employees. But you rely then then you come calling for the shareholders when times get tough. I, I think that's it really now that I've kind of been through and watched these last two years, I have a newfound appreciation for management teams that really think about shareholders as partners.
0: Yeah. It's just you have to have everyone aligned. In the same direction, because something like this happens, people get very upset. That's not good. All right. New topic. This is from an article about someone that who's a, supposed to be part of the Twitter deal. I'm going to read the whole thing. Uh, quote, we're all trying to get out of it, to be honest, said Andrea Wallen, a general partner at Manhattan Venture Partners. MVP committed to invest in the deal earlier this year. Committed. But question remains as to whether the firm and others will be actually on the hook for the fully amount they committed to, committed in writing, uh, according to Walt. Quote, we talked to other investors, everyone's trying to get out of it, parentheses, a deal we committed. I added that part. No one thinks the company should be valued at $44 billion. However, and this is not part of it, they signed a deal to buy it at $44 billion. Here's the last part back to the actual article. Citing the sharp downturn in equity markets over the last six months, Wallen said she would put the value of Twitter at this point closer to $10 billion to $12 billion, a far cry from the $44 billion that Musk has agreed to pay. And her. They agreed to pay in writing at that price. Here's, all right, first off, the just, I don't know, is that cognitive dissonance? I don't know what that is. But either way, the the delusional thought there and just saying that in an article is amazing. Here's a comment from... Oh, it's Ch- Jim Chanos on Twitter is pseudonym. I wonder if they're marking down the other portfolio companies by a similar or not, similar amount. And if not, why not? That's just a jab right in the side because all these VCs, PE, whatever, are not like they're saying, uh, they're seeing this destruction in software and tech or whatever you want to describe it as. down, 75% down. And then their VC portfolios of earlier stage companies are not down that much or even more. It's shocking to me that they're the, and and they can still mark them at high rates and still take fees uh, on that because they're marking on the high rates. I mean, it's crazy. Thoughts on that? A lot of info there. Well,
1: I'm, I admit I'm experiencing some Schadenfreude in the sense that these people, the partners who chose to back Elon Musk's bid are kind of getting what came to them. First of all, doing business with Elon Musk is a risky proposition.
0: That is true. I think everyone can agree with that.
1: You should have known that beforehand. The second of all, you don't you shouldn't be underwriting based on relative valuations. If you're saying it wasn't worth, if it isn't worth 44000000000 billion, why'd you
0: commit to it? Mm, that's a great point. Never do relative. That's a great point. Never, rel, never relative valuation. Never ever do relative valuation.
1: And I'm sure it's hard not to do it in VC world, but.
0: Well, Figma got taken out of 50 times sales, so we should just, everything's fine, right?
1: Okay. Here's the other thing. The, I saw this idea proposed. You should let, if you're the if you're running a venture capital firm and you're not marking down the rest of your portfolio companies as you should, because you don't have to, there's no there's no daily price. So you, you set your own valuation for these businesses. You should allow your LPs to redeem.
0: Oh, whenever they want?
1: Well, no, no, no maybe not re- whatever they want, but let's say 25% at your quoted valuation.
0: Ooh. Of that business. Ooh, yeah. They're never going to agree to that. Maybe they would. And but.
1: suddenly, you might, you know, you might value it properly. Yeah,
0: it seems like a scam to me. It seems but like a scam. It,
1: like listening to people say, like, it, they're almost looking for like a way out. It, it's exactly what she said: is we're all trying to get out of it. Why? Why are you trying to get out of it? Because <laughs> the valuations of everything else across the board went down.
0: Yeah, you should all have right. committed to it. All right. Yeah. No. I. I. I mean. And here's the thing: they signed it in writing. Like, it's not like they're they were thinking about doing a 44 uh, deal at a 44 billion dollar valuation. You signed a deal. It's a contract. Like, you can't just break the contract because you feel like it. You made a bad deal. Like, I'm sorry. It's. I'm.
1: I'm not. Yeah. I'm not sorry. It sucks for them.
0: <laughs> yeah. I mean, it, you know, we all make bad decisions. You have to live with them if you sign it in contract. All right. We. We. Okay.
1: It's like this. We made, we've bad, made
0: we've yeah, bad. We made bad investments.
1: It's not everyone
0: else's fault. That is down 70%. Yeah.
1: Yeah. That's, I mean.
0: (laughs) Now let's. Deal with it. Let's transition to a uh, article from 7investing as the little mid-roll topic here. Remember, use code money. They get $100 off your annual subscription each year, a 25% discount using code money. Uh, Link will be in the show notes. They had an article out there on long-term investing. long-term performance as they're kind of growth oriented. They had that kind of, you know, outperformance of 2021 and it's been uh, a lagging the market in 2022. They talk about volatility. They talk about uh, trusting the long-term process. Here's, and people can go read this. I believe this is one that'll be for free on their website to kind of get a, you know, more reader uh, on their thoughts. We're not going to read the whole article out here. Um, Here's my thought. What's like, What's the what's actually the long term? Like how many years do you need to evaluate performance? What and I wait, guess it,
1: yeah.
0: and I guess does it depend on the strategy? Because I was saying, okay, you have a seven investing type strategy that is taking a lot of uh, different bets on maybe stuff that people will call more speculative, early stage, uh, and it might I think for something like that you you might need a time horizon of maybe five to seven years at a minimum to see if the, the, the bets are working out. But if you're running something, say, at the other extreme end, like what Ed Thorpe used to pitch to investors where they would do these arbitrage strategies, I'm not going to pretend to know how it worked, but they would get, you know, a steady return each month just because of how guaranteed and locked in it was. You can test that strategy in less than a year. I think what's I don't know. Important is aligning like your expectations for what your strategy, like how long you know to evaluate, say your strategy or your investment or whatever, like even a single stock pick, how the time horizon you're giving it, um, needs to be aligned with the actual uh strategy, like or sorry, needs to be aligned with what you're actually doing as an investor.
1: Yeah, and so yeah, seven investing does. I mean they. They kind of stick by the long term approach. And I'm, I would say generally long term for me is, I'd call it five plus years. I used to think like yeah, when, five when, plus. We, when we started, I thought long term is 10, 20 years. If you're a long term investor and or if you're investing for 10 to 20 years or longer, just you better index because there's no, 10 I, to 20, 10 to 20 years
0: you're saying 10 to 20 years like you buy something and go to sleep like you're you're saying yeah. you're setting it and never reevaluating
1: yeah or you better think very highly of the people you're giving money to and know that they're going to be around in 10 years with with some sense of assurance so like you know giving uh, you might as like Berkshire you might as well be an index kind of it's close
0: it's not great Hey, hey those are some strong words that some listeners might uh, but oh I agree with you. Actually you know what?
1: maybe I'll take that back because it's not recycling the companies. I think the index is really the only thing if I were underwriting for 2015 plus years index is the only thing I don't. <laughs> but with that said I think you can still make bets today for companies where you think you where you could forecast out 5 plus years and be generally in the right ballpark you're not going to be right but have a, at least be directionally correct and think it's going to be a better it's going to be a bigger business in 5 years that kind of thing. It's really hard for me to predict that 10 plus years. The world changes so much. However, this kind of relates to my next point. I don't think every investment has to be a long-term investment. I don't think there's anything wrong with making short-term investments if you yeah. treat it as such, keep it on a short leash. We've made we've made investments where we it's say deep, like,
0: yeah, a deep value kind of yeah,
1: yeah. We don't know what's going to happen, and we don't know where the, what the business is going to look like in three years. But we think over the next year or two, it's going to generate enough cash, and and we will.
0: It's yeah, it's, in it's, some way. It's below a liquidation value, something like that. Yeah, um, yeah, I agree. Like even if you're a long term investor, and the most you know, like. If you're going to have a hunter beggar, you probably need to hold something for twenty to twenty five years minimum, unless it's an extreme example, like an Amazon or something like that, which are few and far between or Netflix. the it, it kind of goes like you're not you don't have a 20 year thesis. You kind of have you know a three to five year thesis, or maybe even shorter that just continually updates each quarter. Yeah. And that's probably the best way to go about it, where you're not because it can get overwhelming to say, "All right, I'm going to be a 10 year investor, or or I'm going to have a multi decade time horizon." At first, you think that, that you know, okay, I should invest for something, let it sit forever. No, 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 like I think that's probably the wrong way to go about it because if you do that, then you're gonna, I think it it, it gives you a false, not a false, a lazy excuse to ignore. Things that are happening, if you yeah. if you know what I mean, and I think it it just hurts you because you can, if you're wrong about something, then you can, and you have this say, no, 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 I'm investing for twenty years. I just kind of disagree and say, if you know that you're wrong, you should probably sell. And uh, that might be a slightly different topic, but um, it, it it's it's True. really hard. Yeah, to it's hard to balance because sometimes you a lot know, of people you, hide behind long term. That that's when, a yeah, it's probably a better way to put it. Yeah.
1: When maybe it, it shouldn't be an investment for you at all. Yeah. But you, yeah. you're you're willing to, you know, look past things because you believe in the long term. Yeah, I think that's a real problem. The um I think that three to five year the rolling three to five years is great. I would love to own something for more than twenty years, but I don't think anything yeah. in my portfolio right now. I'm going to own for 20 plus years regardless.
0: Unless, has, I mean, it's
1: like uh, got to prove it essentially.
0: It has to prove itself 15 years from now that it, you know, it has, there's a good enough thesis for the next five years after that. Yeah. I mean, I totally agree. It can be intimidating too, to try to do a 20 year thing and you get confused and you're like, Oh, am I just betting on a long-term trend that some analyst put out that may or may not make sense? Am I just betting on this global thing to happen? <laughs> It's tough. It's, it's a lot. I think it makes it a lot more difficult when you can just simplify it to a few KPIs. You know, is the stock cheap? Do I believe in the management? Okay. The next three to five years, I feel comfortable with this thing. It, can, it just makes it a lot easier psychologically, I think. Um, I agree. And maybe, you know, sometimes people have different strategies for different things.
1: Did you see... Bang, so the parent company of Bang Energy drinks filed for bankruptcy protection after a federal jury ordered it to pay Monster Beverage nearly $293 million.
0: Yeah, I don't know the the investigation, but Bang Energy, if you invested in that, um, I hate to be, this might sound harsh. I don't think any investors in Bang Energy are listening to this. If you invest in that, the money you lose is your own fault because if you saw the guy's Instagram page, um, the CEO's Instagram page. Just look at it, it was, and it ask yourself. W- ask yourself whether that's someone you want to trust you with your money. And if your answer is yes, that's your own fault.
1: Hey, they were insanely popular
0: for a while. So was Jewel. I mean, both yeah. probably. Used, I mean, Jewel probably used a little bit more uh the immoral strategy of Instagram ads to kids, but for addictive products but bang energy a little bit different the the CEO risk which is pretty clear you didn't have to meet the guy just look at his social pages
1: I was listening to value after hours I think it was a show from like two weeks ago maybe a week and a half but basically something came up that when Buffett bought C's candy and I didn't know this but Seas Candy was a public company at the time. Um,
0: yeah, I guess so. Uh,
1: th- he could have bought Hershey's at like a $200 million market cap
0: at the yeah, same time. I'm, I'm surprised. I'm really surprised that they didn't see the same thing with Hershey, at least to make it like a, take a $10 million investment in that. I'm really, really surprised.
1: It's yeah, similar, it's I mean, similar it to had...
0: C's, similar, It's Well, it's more similar to Coke. Coca-Cola because Seas is premium, but it's, uh, it seems so similar. I just, I, I would love to ask them what they're like. Clearly he saw it because he knew every single business in the world at that point. I, I wanted to know why he s- took the pitch. It'd be fascinating to hear him talk about that.
1: Yeah. The, I mean, today it sits at almost a $47 billion market cap. So the returns on Hershey would have been quite good from there. And
0: the, and the dividends they would have gotten would have been, I mean, immense total.
1: Yeah, and it's a From fairly a, yeah. similar business to what it was then. It wasn't like I like I'm pretty sure they
0: had already had I don't know if they bought Reese's, but Reese's turned into a monster. But you could have seen I think that they had
1: already had Reese's.
0: I mean, it, it maybe would have been hard to predict Reese's turning into the number 1 candy, but you could have you could have seen that along the way and updated your thesis.
1: I'm sure he was trying, you know, I'm sure it was <laughs> a customer.
0: The man is a sugar hound. Yes, I'm sure. Maybe he just didn't like Hershey's bars. They aren't that tasty uh, on their Hershey's own.
1: bar. Well, you know, hundreds of but, years of customers would disagree with you. No,
0: you know, I mean they're not on, the their, on their own. Cursed. I know they—they're not that like tasty versus a different chocolate bar. But they're like they have a unique taste, similar to maybe a Coca-Cola, and they're the—they have the s'mores moat, which people might laugh at listening to that. But they have a s'mores moat.
1: I don't know. Reese's might be entering that s'mores game.
0: Either either way. The, either way. Both those have a s'mores mode. Like, it's the same company.
1: I was, uh, for some reason, a whole bunch of, like, Michael Burry's old posts got, like, his old Value Investors Club posts got brought back up this week.
0: Either, before you start, either, I don't know what happened, but and maybe it's because of his political takes but people either love or hate this guy. Some people think he's like a f- fraud almost not a fraud, but like not that good.
1: You got to read these. If you think he's not that good. I know he, he has some absolutely wild takes, but if you think he's not that good, I recommend reading some of his VIC pictures from
0: back in the day. He's clearly, uh, do you have a link? You want to put him in the YouTube chat? Yeah. Let me find control it. control V that in there. Unless if you can't, uh, it might not, might not be. Problem is, he g- gets rid of these tweets. He posted a couple. Uh, oh yeah, you gotta look at the. the there's ones. the archive one too, right? So that can help, but it's yeah, it's so hard to see his tweets. He's he's cryptic.
1: I don't know if I'm gonna be able to find it. But when he found Ross Stores, mm. it was such a home run.
0: But why didn't he hold? He, he that's the whole thing. Like if he held onto that, isn't that a hundred bagger? That's kind of the thing. Like probably maybe his 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 investments have probably been a hunter or beggar as well, but I guess it comes back to what you're comfortable with.
1: God uh, he used to get so many comments too on these pitches it does not surprise me that Greenblatt found him like this
0: v i c used to be more popular, I think as well I think I think it used to be a little bit more lively.
1: yeah, let's see if I can go to the Bury Archive and find it. If you had to bet on what your Ross stores is of today. Of today? Yeah. I want to find what
0: what was the pitch on that? Was it like, I mean, was it just cheap and have growing store count or what?
1: Let me. uh, Yeah. And let me just pull it up because it's pretty concise and it's pretty easy to like
0: uh, 20 year performance of 2000%. Give the pitch all-time performance of 20,000%. When was the write-up? Early 2000s, I'm assuming. Early 90s?
1: Yeah. Hold on. Yeah, I think it was 2004. Mm, Gosh, no, that's not it. Uh, Well, I hope I'm able to find it. But if I don't... Anyway.
0: It was... (sighs) man. Well, do you remember what the pitch generally was? Like, about them it, Was it just, was it really, really cheap, or was there a store expansion strategy?
1: Kind of just hit everything. It was really cheap, but I think it was like four times EBITDA. Um,
0: yeah, I mean, my but, pick would be uh something we've owned in the past, that Sprouts Farmer's Market. That'd be my pick.
1: I was it's cheap enough. Same
0: thing. It's not as cheap as it used to be, but I think similar just because you need that store expansion uh, opportunity. So something like Costco is too big. Home Depot is too big at this point. It's a different investment thesis there. Um, It's really tough though. Anything that's not. Oh, what's another one is uh the joint corp. Although the franchise model is a little slightly different. Um, but that one makes sense to me as well. I think anything that's not. So food or something that has to be done in person just scares me from a retail concept right now, if you know what I mean. Because I don't know, there's a lot of uncertainty about what's going to play out on e-commerce penetration and consumer habits. I think it's very, very uncertain right now.
1: Yeah, perhaps. But I, I feel almost always comfortable, I think, betting on like the the brands that are super popular.
0: If it's cheap enough? What do you mean? Yeah, but that's...
1: The Hershey's. Oh, the okay. World. Yeah, but
0: that's... Oh, yeah. That's fine with me. But I'm talking about someone that owns physical uh, real estate.
1: Oh, I don't know. There's still... I, I think there's a few bets I'd be make comfortable making there.
0: Even if, I, I mean Chipotle owns I said food is no food, yeah, food. I said food's excluded. I said excluding food or something that has to be done in person, like say the joint corp with chiropractic. What about Lululemon? A little nervous, but they have the omni channel, so I wouldn't be if they were only you know, if it was only a store in store, yeah, but I, I wouldn't be nervous with them just because I say the businesses
1: you mean so that, just the purely physical businesses
0: well, I'm, someone with a lot of say yeah in in store exposure that doesn't have a good online strategy, this is easily no, but like everyone's
1: kind of got a good online strategy now
0: I feel like most
1: the most of the businesses that are still around today that are still doing okay, it's because they have an omni channel strategy that succeeded Ulta beauty
0: yeah that's they have a great omni channel strategy, yeah,
1: I think I'd be comfortable making that bet,
0: yeah maybe yeah maybe that's already happened but it makes me a little bit nervous just because i don't have any good read on where i think you'd have a much better read say two years from now on what the long-term trends on e-commerce and consumer habits are post-pandemic than right now so i don't like maybe there's some great opportunities out there for investors but i i would be much more comfortable and i think the risk reward potential That might be the wrong way to describe it. Just the risk reward might be a lot better two years from now. So I'm comfortable being patient, especially also, and this is in general for retail, and why we've kind of been nervous about, like we looked at Chipotle and we're like, man, this looks promising. I mean, valuation's a bit expensive. What I just get nervous about is input costs right now. I think, again, maybe I'm being optimistic about inflation, but two years from now, we're going to have a much better read on input costs for a lot of these companies compared to right now there's just a lot a ton of uncertainty there um and maybe you're gonna get paid to have that uncertainty but it feels this feels tough especially because some of them like chipotle are are that cheap and yeah i can see you know world where the stock does really really well over the next decade but again i just think there's a lot of uncertainty on the flip side though in general, I think some of these retail restaurant concepts, uh, gro- even grocery, if you can see the customer value proposition and it's a smaller company and it's something that can be replicable across maybe not the whole globe, uh, you know, you're not ever, not everyone's going to make McDonald's, but that's fair. Like the predictability of that is ex- extremely attractive to me. What do you think on that? On that, compared to so many other businesses that seem much less attractive much less predictable, these ones seem to be predictable if it's a concept that uh, is replicable, and I guess in online formats that can be as well—music streaming, video, you know, video streaming, stuff like that.
1: I don't know. I think you're getting paid for. I disagree that it's worth like waiting on some of these businesses. Those input costs, like let's say they're a little bit higher, it's going to work itself out in two years. Maybe. And what do you mean? I guess, what do you mean? Let's break it down. What do you mean by input costs? So
0: transportation costs to cost, set up
1: the physical storefronts?
0: No, I'm talking in general. Yeah. I mean, just materials cost, labor cost, energy cost, transportation cost, uh, food cost, going back to restaurants too. I mean, all those. Yeah, it's stabilizing. It seems like it's stabilizing, Um, but I think those are more unknown now. There's a lot of uncertainty around those things. That it just makes me more less comfortable. I'd want a bigger discount if I was going to buy them. Compared, I think a lot
1: of these things are trading at pretty sizable or pretty fair valuations. Um, Two others that I want to bring up that I think are both, I would. Call very high quality that trade at reasonable prices. Lowe's and Home Depot. Why would those make mm. bad investments over the next decade?
0: Yeah, that's a unique. Yeah, those are unique ones that seem to be undisruptible by e-commerce. Yeah,
1: I mean, I mean, I mean it mit, mit, feels like those are kind of fat pitches.
0: Yeah, I don't know much about them. You got precisely. Asian
1: Asian homes, right? I think like the average. Home yeah. today is that like one of the oldest periods or whatever. Um uh, home shortage, however you classify that. I know it's hard to kind of tell how much of a home shortage, but basically I think new home supply is going to be coming on constantly. If it not at the current rate, or if it, if not at a higher rate over the next couple of years, at least at the current rate, new homes will come onto the market. Those are both huge benefits, huge tailwinds for Home Depot and Lowe's. They've got obvious competitive advantages because suppliers know they're going to sell a certain amount of volume through Home Home Depot and Lowe's that they'll get better rates. Home Depot and Lowe's are able to pass those rates through to customers, which attracts more customers, kind of the flywheel effect there.
0: Yeah, well, economies of scale.
1: Economies of scale. Um, And they both trade at pretty reasonable valuations and they've got, both of them have really good uh, pros businesses, from what I can tell.
0: Yeah, it seems like it'd be hard to lose money in either of those stocks. Seems like it'd be hard to lose money.
1: Now, lows. I think that like twenty times for cash flow and buying back a good chunk.
0: Yeah, but buying back a lot at twenty times is not that attractive unless you're growing really quickly.
1: Oh, they're both growing.
0: I know about how. Let's see, price to free
1: cash flow over the last ten years.
0: uh, Coming out of the GFC, those are cheap. Those are really cheap.
1: Lowe's price to free cash flows uh, looks like maybe in line with the last ten-year average. Home Depot's up, but I think free cash flow is depressed, so maybe I'll use operating cash flow and see if that helps.
0: Yeah, but the, I, I mean, both have been monster winners over the last few decades. It's pretty easy to yeah, understand their their mode. Um,
1: it's
0: I feel it's hard cool to lose the, either of those right now. Yeah, I just don't know what... Yeah, I mean, I'd much rather on them than Costco given the valuations um, disparity. Yeah. Because I think they have I'd the same. I've never
1: comfortable with Costco's valuation.
0: Yeah, the last couple of years. I think. So, like with Costco, the big concern with me is that it's not going to grow that fast uh, compared to its, uh, you know, versus whatever's trailing earnings ratio. And it's kind of hard to see where, where, the outside returns would come from for Lowe's and Home Depot. I think that the growth being kind of you know not not that impressive. I mean, they're already at well, uh, Home Depot projected fiscal year 2023 to do 150, 100, almost 160 billion in revenue. Seems tougher to grow at. I don't know. You know, it's it's going to be tough to grow that fast. However, you, do, you combine single-digit growth, margin expansion, and then buybacks plus dividends, you could probably work out solid returns and then the risk reward seems very low I mean yeah they, they seem attractive
1: all right I've got a little background noise apparently right now but I don't know if that's coming through but uh, uh, it's
0: not coming through so don't worry about it all right the I'm looking through the portfolio
1: right now bummer day on the uh, on the questions not getting a whole lot of questions from the chat but looking through the portfolio right now everything's up except
0: well I think one company one, one company yeah Match group, yeah. Any
1: idea why that's down?
0: No, I was confused. I was going to research that later. Um, someone's. <laughs> what's the 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 nonsensical thing that people say? More more sellers than buyers. Uh, someone might be selling out a large position. Who knows?
1: Yeah, that's I not a lot of news.
0: Uh, I didn't see any analyst change updates. Yeah, I don't. Uh, I mean, they're not, the, uh, it's not even like they're tied to interest rates. Um, says, yeah, believe me. Oh, I hear the, something. The Fed,
1: the Fed raising rates isn't going to stop me from yeah, getting that. Well, buying, unless. Paying for some online dating apps.
0: Unless they integrate with Afterpay. Um, <laughs>
1: but. If you're buying roses on Hinge. With Buy Now Pay Later? With Buy Now Pay Later, you shouldn't buy them.
0: That's that's um, my advice. All right. Yeah, well here's the only news from this morning. This is the headline. Jim Cramer's take on the biggest losers of the Nasdaq 100. Match Group is one of them. Quote, if you're living in a house of pain, you should move. Tell me that that, that guy's not entertaining. Come on. I think Dude, I don't know yeah, if that's no. that's not he's, driving it down, but I love, you know, he's I got on him on a regular basis. Well, he's dunkable. He's dunkable.
1: He's very dunkable, but probably the most entertaining personality in finance. Yeah. He's captivating.
0: Yeah. What did he say today? We're about to wrap up, but what did he say today? Jim, Jim Kramer.
1: Give me him over some of those CNBC guys
0: yeah it's all yeah, I don't care if it's nonsensical
1: takes. And you know what you know what the best part about him is? I feel like most financial analysts kind of like to sit on the fence and not say anything of certainty. He says it with the utmost certainty, even though it could be totally wrong.
0: yeah, what he say he gives at least he gives nice. a stance. He tweets a lot. Uh yeah, he does
1: And he shoots from the hip, yeah, he does. All right, we're running up on time. I know you want Uh, to watch He tweets too
0: much. He tweets too much. Yeah, I've been watching the Mariners right now while simultaneously up baseball during the day. A little unfortunate, but yeah, let's end this. Uh, Thank you all for listening. Remember to subscribe to 7investing with code MONEY, the best way to support our show and support them. A great service. Use money to get $100 off your annual subscription for life. Remember, we are not financial advisors. Anything we say on the show is not formal advice or recommendation. We are general partners at Arch Capital and clients may hold securities discussed in this podcast. Thank you all for listening. We'll see you next week.